you beautiful bastards. Welcome back to the Philip DeFranco Show. And hey, a quick friendly reminder, you only have five days left to head on over to beautifulbastard.com to get in on the October drop. Right, I'm talking about our awesome gold foil, one day we'll all be skeletons gear, that badass tie-dye, the vert stack don't be stupid gear, and of course our puffy ink exhausted line. There for now, then gone forever. Grab some awesome, help support the show, hit that like button, and hey, let's just jump into it. Hey, y'all, first up today, we need to talk about the entirety of Twitch leaking online today. I mean, as one creator explained, I feel like calling what Twitch just experienced as leak is similar to me shitting myself in public and trying to call it a minor inconvenience. It really doesn't do the situation justice. We're talking 125 gigabytes of source code uploaded to 4chan this morning, and there is a lot. The leak, including Twitch's internal security tools, as well as code related to software development kits and its use of Amazon Web Services, data related to an unreleased Steam competitor from Amazon Game Studios codenamed Vapor. So inside on yet another industry and vertical that Amazon's looking to take over. However, by far the most notable bit of data that has come out, what people are focusing on is money. And specifically, how much Twitch has paid out to each of its top creators over the last two years. I don't feel comfortable showing the exact numbers, but at the very top of the list, you have Critical Role, followed by XQC. Then others like Tifu, Ludwig, Hassan Abi, AKA Hassan Piker, Moist Critical, Pokimane Ninja, Amaran, and it's been interesting to see the creators responding, right? XQC saying Twitch, explain. Amaranth saying this is our version of the Pandora Papers. Pokemon tweeting, at least people can't over-exaggerate me making millions a month off my viewers anymore. Also people like Moise Critical and Hassan Piker essentially going, why is this such a big deal? Hassan, who many people know outrageously owns a house, tweeting, can't wait for people to be mad at me about my publicly available sub count again. Side note, Hassan has to feel so weird about this right now. Like he was trending higher than the Twitch leak itself on my page. Moist Critical saying, super weird to see people freak out about Twitch income and act like it was some big secret when sub count is publicly available. Take that number and multiply it by 2.5 or 3.5 and you're there. It's also been very interesting to see people's responses. Some saying, oh wow, that's so much money. Some saying, oh wow, that's less than what I thought it would be. Twitch, I would note to, to both parties here, keep in mind, these are only from Twitch payouts, right? This doesn't include sponsorships or donations, which is where a lot of money can come from. Also in unrelated news, I will now be streaming the Philip DeFranco show nine hours a day. Obviously I'm kidding because one, a lot of people don't keep in mind like how much of a skill set it is to be engaging for that long. And two, you have me live stream that much a day per week. I'm getting canceled in a week. I also, and understand I'm, I'm biased here because I, I really like them. I saw some people taking aim at Critical Role being like, look how much money they're bringing in. We need to stop treating them like they're an indie group. This is a company. But uh, as someone that watches them from time to time, like I'm not the, the most avid fan. It always feels like they talk about it like it's a business. I've had Marisha and Matt on my podcast. They were very transparent. And to me, the, this criticism felt very much like when, when people are like, oh, the this indie band that I found, they've gone too mainstream. Like, why do we root for people to be successful and then get angry that they're successful? And that's without getting into the nitty gritty of like how much a show like that costs to produce, taxes, blah, 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 blah. But also going back to the leak, things might not be done yet. This because the leak was labeled as part one and if true, there's no reason to think that the leakers would not publish a part two, especially because it appears that the people behind this are not too fond of Twitch saying that they hope this data dump quote, fosters more disruption and competition in the online video streaming space and calling the platform a disgusting, toxic, Successful and including the hashtag do better Twitch, which very notably has been used in recent weeks to drive boycotts against the platform as smaller creators protest the ease at which trolls can use bots to spam their chats with racist, sexist, and homophobic messages. And the last thing I'll, I'll tack onto this is that currently it doesn't appear that password and address information from Twitch users is out there, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the people behind this don't have it. So I would definitely say change your passwords. And if you have doubles of passwords, probably change those as well. And while you're at it, implement two-factor authentication in case a hack happens like this again. Because, I mean, right now, while this mostly seems targeted against Twitch itself rather than the users, you're better off safe 
then sorry, especially if bad actors start trying to use Twitch's source code to find cracks in its security. But ultimately, where I wanna end this story today is on two key notes and two key questions, and that is one, what do you think about the leakers connecting this to the Do Better Twitch campaign? Right, I mean, you look, I'm talking about this, other outlets are talking about it, everyday people talking about it, and so, hey, does it raise awareness? Does it put a bigger spotlight on the story so it's successful and it's good? Or no, do you think they're using it to like protect themselves, deflect from the fact that a lot of stuff got exposed? They put a lot of creators on blast, among other things. And two, regarding the creators here that got their private monetary information exposed, A, if separately from this you saw the specific numbers, or you just have the knowledge that the, the numbers range from the hundreds of thousands to the multi-millions of dollars, like, did that change your opinion on any of those content creators? And B, what are your thoughts regarding the public reaction to this? Because, I mean, I, I use some specific examples, but there, there seems to be a lot of people genuinely bothered that some of the people that they've been watching are making that much money. And I will say, I was a little surprised with that because, yes, uh, while that has always existed, it feels like, you know, I've been doing this for 15 years. One of the most drastic changes as far as, like, the creator and their audience, one of the biggest things is, like, it seems like people are rooting for creators to make more money. Right? If you're in this space, you've seen people get hyped where someone signs an exclusive deal to a YouTube, a Facebook gaming, a Twitch, or whatever. They get a big sponsorship or a big partnership. It seems like people are like, yes, we're legitimate. Whereas back in the day, like if you had a sponsor in a video, you were 100% considered a sellout. So yeah, I don't know. I would, I would love if you could help me unpack this, digest the situation, and uh, yeah. Let me know what you're thinking in those comments down below. Then in news and a story I just absolutely love because it just, it sounds so ridiculous. It feels like every day the universe is just mad living it up. Let's talk about how Taylor Swift is being used to impact the Virginia governor's race. So for those unfamiliar with the Virginia gubernatorial race, you have Democrat Terry McAuliffe and Republican Glenn Youngkin, two candidates at play here, polling at times seeming to show them pretty close. And now in an interesting strategic move, Terry McAuliffe is running ads to get Swifties involved in the election. And that's because Glenn Youngkin used to be the CEO of Carlyle Group, which financially backed the controversial sale of Taylor's masters to Ithaca Holdings and Scooter Braun. A sale that Taylor spoke on numerous times, calling it the worst case scenario. As you might imagine, many of Swift's fans against Scooter Braun and anyone who played a part in Taylor losing ownership of her life's work. And so that is what McAuliffe's campaign is now playing into with him running ads on Instagram and Google to bring up the sale of Taylor's masters. With a report showing a screenshot of an image using the hashtag we stand with Taylor with text reading. Did you know that Republican candidate for governor Glenn Youngkin helped buy Taylor's Swift's masters out from under her when he was co-CEO of Carlisle Group, an ad that resulted in a Youngkin spokesperson releasing a statement saying, Terry McAuliffe has reached the stage of desperation in his campaign where he's rolling out the most baseless attacks to see what sticks. It's a pathetic fall that could only be achieved by a 43-year-old political hack. But as far as, you know, will any of this stick? Will it change, turn out, anything like that? We'll have to wait and see. Reportedly, this ad buy was in the five-figure range, specifically targeting people that Google Taylor's name, as well as people that engage with her content on Facebook and Instagram. I will say, as far as attack ads go, it's, it's a little bit weird. It's kind of like if they were like, Terry McAuliffe was part of a Pepsi challenge three years ago. This motherfucker didn't even pick Pepsi or Coke. He liked RC Cola. Look at me directly in my eyes. Is that who you want as your governor? Some RC Cola fuckboy? Then that blows up in their face because it turns out the silent majority loves RC Cola. Anyway, the main point of the story is this is kind of interesting, but everything is stupid. <laughs> Thank you for watching the Philip DeFranco show. Although I will say on a more serious note, if the polling here is correct, like whatever happens in this race, it's gonna be interesting to see, but if this is accurate, Democrats should be worried. This is a state where Biden won by 10 points. You know, I understand there was a difference between voting for the president in 2020 and then who's the governor, but like, wouldn't you know it, another thing that dropped about 10 points was Biden's favorability rating. Back in April, it was at about 54% and now 44%. And this is something to keep an eye on, yes, for this, this gubernatorial race, but also going into 2022. But from that, I wanna take a second to thank the sponsor of today's show, Olipop. And Olipop is a brand new soda that looks and tastes exactly like your favorite childhood sodas, but without all that processed sugar and 
artificial ingredients. Right. Olipop tastes like the real thing, but has less than 5% of the sugar and net carbs of the sodas we all grew up on. And it's also got a third of your daily fiber intake, which makes it not only a soda, but also good for your gut. Olipop is gluten-free, vegan, paleo-friendly, and only 35 calories. Basically, it'll satisfy your sweet tooth and curb that soda addiction all in one. Their variety 12-pack, including root beer, strawberry, vanilla, cherry, vanilla, ginger, lemon, vintage soda, and orange squeeze. So for example, if you love classic root beer or Stewart's orange cream soda as a kid, I'm telling you, Olipop really is just like the real thing. Because so many of you responded to the variety pack offer, right now they're offering you beautiful bastards 15% off site-wide on all their flavors. Just go to drinkolipop.com slash Franco and be sure to use code DeFranco at checkout. Then we had Bretman Rock in the news because this week he made history as the first out gay man to appear on the cover of Playboy. And while that was news in its own right, you had many people happy. The next piece of news was that the outlet received a lot of hateful remarks. So much so that Playboy even addressed it, saying that there were far too many offensive comments and saying they were the same kind of comments they received when they put the first African-American model on the cover or when they featured a transgender model for the first time. Bretman also taking a jab at people sending hate his way, writing on Instagram, posting to piss off more straight men. If you're pissed because I turn you on, then say that, geez. And personally, my response to this is, hey, good for Bretman if people see this and they're like, yes, equality, progress, that's dope. But also there is a cynical part of my brain that's like, this is just a PR marketing move for Playboy. Because I mean, to their credit, they do have this history, albeit a complicated one, of pushing boundaries and being progressive. But there is also the fact that over the last several years as the magazine industry has changed, they've had to fight to stay alive and relevant. I don't imagine there's a world where they didn't know that these hateful reactions would come out and they'd be able to grandstand. And so they kind of get to just use Bretman for some relevance. But I don't know, maybe you could also argue that's how everything works. Everything's performative. Everyone's using one another and as long as maybe progress is being made, that's good. I don't know, main point. Bretman, you sexy motherfucker, keep doing you. Also, Twitch not the only massive platform in the news for dealing with leaks and troubles, right? You have abusive alcoholic stepdaddy Facebook dealing with some stuff. In addition to the leaks we've been talking about when Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp went down on Monday, that exposed some major issues. Down for six hours, people flooding other social media sites like Twitter, TikTok, and Snapchat. Right, with WhatsApp down, Telegram ended up gaining 70 million new users in a single day. But also this blackout exposed many people to how important Facebook's platforms are to people, whether they're conducting business, arranging medical Care, responding to emergencies, holding virtual classes. Hell, internationally, WhatsApp and Facebook are so important to a lot of countries, especially third world countries, that the Monday blackout was essentially like the internet just didn't exist for these people. And in part because of all these issues blowing up, we saw people like Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez tweeting during the blackout that Facebook needs to be broken up, saying it's almost as if Facebook's monopolistic mission to either own, copy, or destroy any competing platform has incredibly destructive effects on free society and democracy. Remember, WhatsApp wasn't created by Facebook, it was an independent success. Facebook got scared and bought it. So you have Facebook getting hit there, having to deal with that situation, but also we had the leak and whistleblower situation. With yesterday, Francis Haugen, the whistleblower who turned over thousands of internal Facebook documents to federal law enforcement testifying before a Senate subcommittee. There, accusing Facebook of using anger and hate speech to fuel engagement and in turn ad dollars. Facebook wants you to believe that the problems we're talking about are unsolvable. They want you to believe in false choices. They want you to believe that you must choose between a Facebook full of divisive and extreme content or losing one of the most important values our country was founded upon, free speech. That you must choose between public oversight of Facebook's choices and your personal privacy. I am here today to tell you that's not true. These problems are solvable. A safer, free speech respecting more enjoyable social media is possible. But there's one thing that I hope everyone takes away from these disclosures, 
It is that Facebook can change, but is clearly not going to do so on its own. And at one point yesterday, Haugen told Congress that some of the documents she provided prove that CEO Mark Zuckerberg knew that Facebook could have done more to stop hate speech, but saying that he didn't because it would have negatively affected, quote, meaningful social interaction. And while Haugen said that she was personally against the idea of breaking up Facebook, she did urge Congress to change Section 230, which protects big tech companies from what their users post. And essentially saying it would force these companies to have to be responsible to think about what these algorithms are doing other than just the money that they're bringing in. But also, while that was happening, during her hearing, Facebook threw the kitchen sink at her. Facebook using its full force trying to discredit her with executives noting that Haugen didn't work on and thus didn't have adequate context around many of the projects she leaked. With us even seeing Zuckerberg taking a break from smoking his meats to say, many of the claims don't make any sense. The argument that we deliberately push content that makes people angry for profit is deeply illogical. We make money from ads and advertisers consistently tell us that they don't want their ads next to harmful or angry content. And I don't know any tech company that set out to build products that make people angry or depressed. However, it is also important to note there that during her 60 Minutes interview over the weekend, Haugen actually phrased that characterization a bit differently. I have a lot of empathy for Mark, and Mark has never set out to make a hateful platform, but he has allowed choices to be made where the side effects of those choices are that hateful polarizing content gets more distribution, more reach. Right, Haugen essentially saying, I don't think Mark Zuckerberg was like, I want to destroy the world, make it a less safe place. It's just the side effects of the choices that he and the company have made. But for now, that's where we are. I mean, there's an extremely strong bipartisan agreement among lawmakers that action must be taken against Facebook. But as far as what does that look like, I mean, we don't know. There, There's the option of trying to break up Facebook, changing parts of section 230. Okay, then what are the fallouts from those things? I mean, this is gonna be something we're have to wait and see what actually happens, what's proposed. But of course, with all of that, this is the PDS. I'd love to know your thoughts. And ultimately, that is where that story and actually today's show ends. And whether it be this final story, really anything else that stood out to you today, I'd love to hear from you in those comments down below. With that said, as always, my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces and I'll see you tomorrow. Hassan, who many people know outrageously owns a house, tweeting. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love that I was able to say that with a straight face.